Well, we are in um, our third week of this mini-series in Romans um, on bad news. Paul and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad news. And then next week we get to talk about more of the good news. Um, But I wanted to start us out with a discussion question this week. Um, It kind of plays off of sort of where we left off last week, one of the illustrations that we had, um, just about habit building. So the question is, or these questions are, have you ever tried to build a new habit? Did you succeed? Did you fail? What do you think makes a difference in success? That was a good discussion. I think um, building new habits can be difficult. And I actually read a little bit about habit building this week while preparing. Um, And one of the things that some people say can help you build a new habit that you should build a new habit when you're on vacation. Because so much of our lives are built on routine. And if you're already out of your routine, it's easier to implement something new because otherwise you default to whatever you normally would do at your house or in your city um, or with the people you're always around. So I think that's kind of interesting um, that that's one of the ways that people have found success in starting something different or breaking something they don't want to do anymore is doing it while they're out of their normal surroundings. Like, leave your cell phone, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's February 1st, and a month of this new year has gone by. A month of this new decade, really, has That's gone true. by. Um, <clears throat> and according to a study done in 2018, most people fail in a New Year's resolution by what date? What do you think it is? The, the February 1st. Yeah. February 1st? It's actually January 12th. So, if you made a New Year's resolution and you're still going with it, you um, have made it farther than most people who only make it to January 12th. So, all that to say, it's hard to build new healthy habits. And so, I have this little illustration for us. Um, Tyler and I were watching a show on TV this week, and there's a dad. It's about a bunch of kids with their parents, and there's a dad who wants to eat healthier. And his daughters are really worried about him, that he's going to die And it's funny because they're super handy and they are like, if dad dies, we can just go to the Home Depot and buy whatever we need. We have enough store credit. And then they realize that they wouldn't have his car and his trunk space. So then they're sad that their dad's going to die because he's not eating healthy. These kids are eight. Yeah. Oh, they're young. Eight or nine. Oh. They're young. Right. I thought it was like grown adults already. Yeah. No. I know. The kids, it's, it's okay. a strange show that these little girls are like building, you know, yeah. building a shed in the backyard. They're eight oh. years old. Um, <laughs> but they're worried he will die. And so they brainstorm with their friends. What should we do? And one of their friends says, well, why don't we just eat all of the junk food in the house so that your dad doesn't? (laughs) And so they start and they can't finish. And then they invite over their whole school or their whole, you know, class. And so all of the eight year olds they know are at the house and they're having this party, junk food eating party behind the babysitter's back. Like risky business. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... this idea of like let's not waste the food or just throw it away and let's 
you know, let's just eat it all. This is kind of an immature eight-year-old idea, right? But it's similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar to something Paul's going to confront tonight. And so to review where we've left off, um, we last week um, talked about how all of us, well, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how all of us are lawbreakers, right? Whether that's a religious law that we've known or it's our conscience or moral law, all of us kind of have a sense of what's right and wrong and all of us have broken that law. And last week we talked about these big two things that make people distinctively Jewish, which is um, having the law and the act of circumcision. And we talked about how right belief and right behavior won't get us anywhere on their own. Um, That it doesn't matter what you believe or how you behave, um, that those things can't save us, um, that people are not automatically saved because of their heritage. And so um, thinking about that, what good is it to be Jewish, right? If the law and circumcision don't matter, which is, it kind of feels like Paul saying that, Um, then what good is it to be Jewish? And so Paul is going to answer that question, and he's going to answer several other questions tonight. Um, And we don't really know that anybody has, like, poked him in the chest and said, and actually asked him these questions, but he's putting these out there as this, like, hypothetical, preemptive sort of, well, I know what you may be thinking. What about this? What about that? You know, and so he's sort of, anticipating people's questions to what he's just written. And so we're going to read our section in Romans tonight in two different portions. So we will start with Romans 3 verses 1 through 8. And you can follow along in your um, Bible journal here because we're going to read from this translation, the English Standard Version. Um, And... Then we will continue after that with verses 9 through 20. So we'll start with verses 1 through 8. And it will also be up on the PowerPoint. It's a little bit small. Then what invention? That's a new word. (laughs) Mixture between advantage and invention? I don't know. Okay, I will start again here. Then what advantage has the Jew... Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us, I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So... When when we're bad at change, I think, for me at least, it's tempting to just say to myself, well, I already messed up, 
I already ate sweets this week. I already didn't go to the gym. I already missed water aerobics. Uh, I may as well just give in and indulge. Let's eat all the junk food in the house because <laughs> I already messed up. Um, another suggestion I read about forming habits this week is this idea of never fail twice in a row. So you can build a new habit if you let yourself go one day, but if you don't fail the next day. So if you let yourself fail two days in a row, then you probably aren't going to build a habit. But if you only go one day and then you go one day again a couple weeks later, you can still continue to grow that habit. Um, but Paul's addressing this idea of sort of indulging or um, this this concept that, well, if my failure makes God look good, then why don't I just fail all the time? Um and he has these questions that he follows up by this response, by no means. That's what I noticed when I was reading it, um, that there's a bunch of question marks and then there's these exclamation points of by no means, exclamation point, by no means in verses four and six. Um, <clears throat> and there's a contrast he's making between humankind and God. And so I want us to take a look at that um, together. That's the cat, I think. Oh, yeah, it's the cat. She needs to stay outside. <laughs> Thank you. She's banished. <laughs> For now. <laughs> well, maybe if it gets a little bit warmer outside, we'll let her back in. But she doesn't like to use the bathroom outside when it's cold. When it's cold. Yeah. So she does things in the house. That's why she's oh. banished. <laughs> anyway. Side note. Also, does anybody want a cat? <laughs> does anyone want a cat? <laughs> <laughs> I hear they taste a lot like chicken. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this contrast in Romans 3, 1 through 8. And it comes in these hypothetical sort of questions that Paul actually does answer with the words, by no means. Um, and we see that humankind, he describes as faithless but God is faithful. Humankind are liars, but God is true. We can be unrighteous. We are unrighteous, and God is righteous. And humankind does evil, and God is good. And um, it's kind of, when you look at this list of who God is, of God being faithful, true, righteous, and good, it kind of seems like, aren't we doing God a favor by highlighting his character just because of this contrast? Like when we're faithless and God shows himself faithful, kind of doing him a favor by making him look really good. But Paul says, no way. We shouldn't just give up or give in or indulge. And so then there's this other question in um, verses 5 through 6. And I think it's interesting to read it in a different translation. So this is in the New Living Translation. Paul says, Some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were entirely fair, were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? 
And so judgment is something that Paul has already brought up in chapter 2. Or maybe that was the end of chapter 1. Sorry, can't remember. But he's already talked about judgment. And God is the judge. And honestly, with God as the judge, we don't really have a case when we look at... um, the failures of humankind and if we examine our own hearts and think about our own failures we don't really have a case before a completely just and fair god and so let's go ahead and read the second section for tonight verses 9 through 20. that's even even smaller sorry about that What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And I mentioned that last week, that this idea that the law or even our conscience doesn't really make us right before God. It just makes us aware of our sin and our failure um, because we can't get it right every time. Even if we know what's right and wrong, we will do wrong. Um... And so Paul says in this section that everybody, Jews and non-Jews, are all under sin. And this idea of being under something, I think of like having someone under your thumb, um, sort of manipulating or um, holding you down or um, kind of like a tyrant ruler. And that's what sin is. Paul is saying that everybody lives under the thumb of sin. And later in chapter 6, Paul is going to talk about how humankind, all of us, we are slaves to what we obey. And that often what we continue to obey is sin. Calcium. Yes. What is this? It's a snake. It's a type oh, of snake. Really? So, yeah, the venom of, sn- of a snake is under their lips. Oh. That's the, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so... Paul, in this section here from verses 10 through 18, he's quoting other scriptures. And so um, I thought to myself, well, where do these come from and what do they mean? You know, and so I thought it would be good for us to kind of look at that tonight. And my other question in reading this section was, how is it possible in verse 12 that no one is good, not even one, Mm. when we look around the world and we see philanthropists and we see things that appear to be truly altruistic, like all for somebody else, selfless acts. 
how can we read this and believe that no one is good not even one and so i thought that we would sort of break this down um and look at this section and one person i read this week one bible teacher um called this an x-ray of um human sinfulness and so i sort of made this slide that i call the anatomy of sin and so we have this person walking on a path and so in verse 11 we have no one understands which i feel like is kind of up there in your mind um and then in the mouth area we've got tongues deceive deceive man my i'm tongue twisted tonight deceive and whatever that other word I made up was about advantage. Okay, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, invention, advantage. So um, we've got tongues that deceive in verse 13. Um, We have this snake venom under lips in verse 13. Mouths full of curses and bitterness in verse 14. Um, We have a throat that's an open grave. Um, feet that are swift to shed blood, paths that um, are ruin and misery. Just that sort of what lies in the path of um, the person described here, the people described, all of us described here. Um, And then no fear of God is before their eyes in verse 18. And so really these verses that Paul is quoting and they don't all come from one place he's sort of combined them all together and you see this full picture of humankind and what sinfulness looks like and so when it comes to habit I think that we're habituated to sin the thing that we will do over and over again the default is sin I read this week that 40 to 45% of our day we think is a choice and it's not because we're so habit-oriented. We don't really make as many choices during the day that we think we do. We just sort of brush our teeth at the same time or when we wake up and we, you know, Mr. Rogers changed his shoes when he comes home, you know, from a walk. We do things over and over again, and not everything is a choice. Most things are habit. And so when I think about no one being good, not even one, um, no one is habitually good, not even one. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. No one is good when you compare yourself to God. No one can measure up and and reach a perfect God with their lives. And so Paul says that there's no argument, really, that there's no justification, that our mouths are stopped. Um, He says that the law speaks to those who are under the law and that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world is held accountable to God and that the works of the law will justify no human being in God's sight Um, because as we said the law just shows us that we are sinful it makes us aware of our sinfulness and so 
Paul is sort of speaking to Jewish people here, but it applies to us as well. And if we had a legal case, or we were trying to bring a legal case to God, we would lose. We can't justify ourselves. Um, and I think sometimes we accuse God of injustice, or we ask Him to, to defend Himself, but God is the fair and righteous judge. And we're kind of in a bad place. We've been talking about new, bad news for the last three weeks. This is our third week. And Eugene Peterson, um, <clears throat> in the message, in these verses 19 and 20, says that we're all in the same sinking ship. Jews and non-Jews, all in the same sinking ship. But even here in this doom and gloom passage... Paul is hinting at a lifeboat, at a rescue mission. And we have to dig in order to see it because we don't, we don't know um, the Old Testament like some people do. Right? Does, can anybody tell me where any of these verses come from without, um, without like looking at a cross-reference in your Bible? I couldn't. Um, <clears throat> I think maybe his audience... Some of the people in his audience may have been educated enough to know where these verses had come from. Um, But I thought it would be fun to kind of look at the context of these quotes. And so in um, verses 10 through 12, they come from Psalm 14. Verse 13 comes um, from Psalms 5 and 140. Verses 14 through 16 come from Psalm 10. Verse 17 comes from Isaiah 59, and verse 18 comes from Psalm 36. Mm -hmm. And so let's go ahead and read a couple of verses. I said that Paul's hinting at a lifeboat. And so rather than reading the (laughs) verses over again that Paul already quoted to us, I thought it would be cool to see what else those psalms say, what else Isaiah says. And so in verses... um, in Romans 3, 10 through 12, David says that none are good, right? But, this is very small, so I apologize for that. But in Psalm 14, verse 7, um, David says, Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Verse 13 comes from Psalm 5. And David describes his enemies in that in that section. But in verses 4 through 5, um, he says this, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Psalm 140 is the one where the snake venom comes from. And in verse 8 and 12 through 13... David writes this, Lord, do not let evil people have their way. Do not let evil schemes succeed or they will become proud. But I know the Lord will help those they persecute. He will give justice to the poor. Surely righteous people are praising your name. The godly will live in your presence. Um, In verses 14 through 16 of Romans, those come from Psalm 10. Um, But in Psalm 10, the writer also asks God not to ignore the helpless, 
declares God as king forever and ever and says this in verse 17, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. Verse 17 comes from Isaiah 59. And in Isaiah 59, Isaiah explains that sin cuts Israel off from God. But in verse 1, Isaiah writes, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. And then in verse 20, the Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And that, when I read it, is a direct prophecy of Jesus. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem and buy back those who've turned from their sins. This idea that repentance can lead us to Christ and to forgiveness of our sins and reunite us with God. And so Paul is hinting at all of this. And then the final one from verse 18, that's from Psalm 36. Um, and it does talk about how the la- there's a lack of the fear of God before people's eyes. But that whole entire um, psalm is really the one, you might be familiar with it, that talks about God's love being higher than the heavens, his righteousness being greater than mighty mountains, and his justice being deeper than the deepest ocean. And so Paul is hinting at salvation, at um, even though it, looking helpless, um, us feeling helpless before sin and death and evil, that there there's hope. There's hope that a redeemer can come, that God's arm is not too weak to save us, that he's heard the cries of the helpless, um, and that he will not stand for evil people to have their way, and that actually he wants to change all of us, right? Um, and so this is my final thought tonight. <clears throat> and this is kind of going back. I thought it was so strange that in um, in verse 8, Paul says that people are slanderously accusing him of saying, why not do evil that good may come? And I thought, what is it about Paul's message that would make somebody think that? Like, why would anyone think that Paul is telling people to go be evil? Go ahead. Go be evil. Go sin more. Go um, eat all of the junk food. You're a failure, so just go fail. Why would people think that? And as I processed that and thought about it, Paul's message even though we haven't gotten to all of it yet, it is a message of such radical forgiveness, such transformation that Jesus could save us without good works, without under, having to understand everything about the law, without needing to be circumcised, that we can be saved and come into relationship with God by God's grace and our faith. That is so outrageous. <laughs> very fair that salvation um cannot be earned that it only can be received 
this gospel was so free and so unbelievable that I think people might have thought he was being permissive. Oh, you're not going to make people follow the law? You're not going to force everyone to be circumcised? Don't you understand that this is how religion works? This is how God works? And Paul wasn't giving people license to sin. Paul and Jesus want us to be free of sin. But Paul knows that we can't do it on our own and religion isn't going to make a way for us. We can't actually build a habit of becoming less sinful. We're going to default to that and we're going to continue needing forgiveness. And so um, this is where Paul is taking us. This is where we're going to journey with him in the coming weeks. And we're going to get off the sinking ship with, and we're going to get onto Jesus's rescue boat. That's, that's where Paul is taking us. And so it isn't that he's telling us to just go ahead and be more sinful. He's saying the only way is in, in Christ. Yes. And so um, <clears throat> let's think about that and let's express gratitude for Jesus tonight as we pray and then we will eat together and enjoy each other's company. Jesus, I thank you for tonight um, and for this time that we had together to study your word and to dig a little bit deeper together. Um, these are things I've never dug in, dug, I've never dug into before. I've seen the cross references in my Bible and not taken the time to go back and read them. And so Lord, I thank you that Mosaic and the people of Mosaic got to do that with me tonight. And we thank you that this life is not without hope. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our rescuer and that you pull us out of this sinking ship and you make us right with God. We thank you for your love and your forgiveness and your righteousness that you give to us, um, that you make us right and pure and good before you and that all of our goodness comes from you. Um, continue to transform us. Um, may we be... Um, learning what it means to have the anatomy of righteousness <laughs> rather than the anatomy of sin as you change us and renew us. Thank you, Jesus. And bless this meal and the rest of our time together. Amen. Amen.